G'day everyone. Well, here we are, Talking Luft. We're back, episode three, and yes, I've got him. Turbo Durbo, Luke Durbridge, he's back. Can't do a season without Durbo. Love talking to Durbo, and I know you guys love hearing from him too. And we've got a great Talking Luft for you this week. It is the Classics Edition. I've had to think up some new questions for Durbo, so it's 4.0, but we're talking a little bit about the Classics. I always love talking to Durbo on the eve of the Classics to find out what's going on over there get a little bit more information about the classics for you guys to help understand what that racing is all about. The podcast this year is sponsored by Rafa. They're helping me produce the podcast for you guys, both Life in the Peloton and Talking Luft. And speaking of the classics, what Rafa do on the 9th of April, which is Paris-Roubaix, they do a day in hell. They do it all over the world at the different clubhouses. Of course, I'm in Melbourne, so I'm going to go and check out the day in hell in Melbourne. The one in Melbourne this year, if you're in Melbourne, you should come along and check it out because it is an Alley Cat Compass Challenge. What that actually means is there's a route, they've got six locations, and you just got to navigate to these checkpoints, get your card stamped, and move on to the next location. So you can choose any way you want, but they're going to be down cobbled lanes, around velodromes, all in the spirit of Paris-Roubaix. I love that. A day in hell, of course. That was my favorite race, so I love reliving the vibe of that, especially around the cobbles in Melbourne. And just, you know, heading back to the clubhouse at the end and watching one of my favorite additions with a cold beer. They're going to have Fritz there. It's going to be a real Belgian vibe. That's the day in hell on the 9th of April. Wherever you are, that's where it's going to be. Check it out. I'm looking forward to the one in Melbourne anyway. On to this episode, and what I'm going to do with Durbo is talk about those classics, like I said, but of course, spin some questions around for him in Talking Luft, a little bit more classics focused. And seeing as we're talking about the classics, one thing that is very, very important in the classics, because the hard racing, the cold conditions, is that immune system. Everyone's falling by the wayside, whether it's crashes, whether it's sickness, and it's almost like the best of the best get through the classics and race Paris-Roubaix. One thing I was doing when I was racing overseas, in the classics especially, was taking my AG1. I was looking for all those extra one percenters because I wanted to make sure I had all my vitamins, my minerals, my probiotics, like I said, for that immune system support. Also for good gut health, because we're picking up all this sort of crap off the road into our mouths as we're racing. And, you know, a lot of times we had upset guts. So this was really important for me, especially in the classics. It ultimately helps for better performance. Of course, I'm not racing overseas anymore, but I'm still using AG1. It's for my day-to-day -day life now, for my family, for my kids. I want to feel good about myself as well. AG1 provides a daily nutrition foundation for optimal health. And I love starting my day with AG1 because I know whatever happens from there, I've got a good, nice foundation to start the day, a nice setup, a really good kickstart. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, the Athletic Greens is giving you a one free year supply of vitamin D plus five free travel packs with your first purchase. Head across to athleticgreens.com slash life in the peloton. That's athleticgreens.com slash life in the peloton. Now guys, talking Luft, let's get straight into it. Sit back and enjoy. Here he is, Luke Durbridge. All right, Derbs, here we are, mate. I couldn't do a season without you. Of course, we've got Luke Derbridge on, mate. 4.0, Talking Luft, 
plus a little bit of classics as we like to talk about this time of year, mate. Welcome back to the pod. Great to have you on. Thanks, Mitch. It's a bit uh, it's a bit weird doing it over the time zone, not face to face like we normally do. But uh, you've got a Melbourne bitter in your hand. I've got a lemon tea or something. So uh, yeah, bit of a difference uh, there. But nah, I'm looking forward to catching up with you, mates, and miss you over here. But uh, you know, we got to do what we got to do, mate. Peloton rolls on. With or without me, I can see. I thought it might have stopped, but it seems like it's it's still <laughs> happening. That's weird. Right. You've just got back from Paris East because what I want to do here, it is Talking Luft 4.0. You are the initial Talking Luft man, so every time we've got to go to a new level with you. But before we get to that, it's our Classics catch-up. We've got to talk about it because the Classics, we're on the eve of the Classics. You've just finished your preparation race. Uh, preparation race, I don't know if that's the right word, but the, the big one before you hit the Classics, Paris Nice. You've just got back from it after the weekend. I guess I wanted to ask you, you know, before you get into it, you know, how was your Paris-Nice? But now you've ridden Paris-Nice a couple of times. Before, you know, a couple of years ago, you were a Torino-Adriatico man. I was a Paris-Nice man. I always argued Paris-Nice was the better preparation for the classics. More stressful, a lot of crosswinds, a lot of mountains, a bit more similar to um, the classics, I felt. You know, you came out of Paris-Nice and felt like, you know what, it was a step down for the classics. This is semi-relaxed. You always argued the other side, having never done Paris. Hey, I want to go in fresh, a lot of mental energy because Torino is semi-relaxed, hard racing still, different racing. Now, you got to give it to me. Two years in, I think it's two years or maybe three years, I can't remember now. Paris, three times. Torino, let's say nine times. So you've got a good juggle of both. What is the better preparation, one for you, but two for everyone going to the classics? What do you think? Or it's, I'd still say it's, uh, I'd have to say that I'll have to agree with you now that probably Harry oh. needs. <laughs> yes. Break it down uh, for us. Why? Just, Why do you think? Well, that Torino's got a lot more filthy. Like just watching, I don't know what, the weather gods must have kissed me uh, during those eight years I did Torino, but uh, we had just some magnificent uh, Torino Adriaticos. You know, it was like sunny and I would say that Torino prepares you the best for San Remo because hmm. the stages are so long. There's like really hard finals. It prepares you and that's pretty much what the race was like really designed for anyway is that there was a few days in there that people would get ready for San Remo. Apparently it's a bit more short, sharp, um, 160k stages, cross swings, etc. But I really prefer a race that to be on from, be switched on from the start to the finish. Hmm. And that's pretty much what the classics is. And Paris-Nice is like the most insane, as you know, road furniture race that you could do. It's like even worse than Belgium. So like you said, when you go to Belgium, it's just like, oh, this actually flows through town. It doesn't mm-hmm. actually stop you and, you know, terrible roundabouts and uh, poles and et cetera. So I would say that Paris-Nice now... And then now, the last few years, Paris has got Torino's weather. So, like, stick in all the boxes, you know, it's... Uh... <laughs> so, yeah, I, I'd say Paris needs. Like, I was watching Torino this year and I was like, oh. And even now, they've taken the team's time trial that used to yeah. be in Torino and they put it in Paris So, oh, it's just all looking up for the race of the sun. Tell me about, for everyone listening out there, why we bang on about these races being so important for the classics. You know, obviously, before... Um, Paranese, just the week before, you've got the opening weekend, which is, you know, Umlaut Het Newsblad, and then you've also got Kern of Brussels Kern. And I get the feeling, look, not that I ever went in really underdone. I was never a rider that could do that in those races. It sort of had to be at more or less my level before I went into any race. But I feel like more so now, you're already at the level. 
But it's almost like these big stage races, you know, arguably Pyrenees for me was the hardest race I did all year. They take you almost to a new level. It's like you can't almost achieve that in training. And it's so important. I felt it was so important to go these races, get them under the belt in a good way. You know, go deep, go hard, get your head kicked in, but come out of it not completely destroyed. And then you go into the classics. All right, I'm ready for battle. My my axe is super sharp. I'm ready to go. Is That's sort of what it's about, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. I think the mentality might have slightly shifted now that pretty much every race is so hard and... Mm. It's like you're better off not going to a race if you're slowly underdone mm. than, than where you were. Like, so I'd say probably dial that back to seven, eight years ago. You'd, you'd sort of like use that Torino and, and uh, Paranese to sort of sharpen that axe. But now, like, guys just can't finish it. And like you mm. seen Paranese last year, I think 45 guys finished Paranese last year, <laughs> um, which is like insane. So pretty much guys, you either, if they rock up and they're not fit and healthy, they just go home, rest up, and then go to the next objective. Um, I'm noticing people pulling out of races just a lot more than what they used to because if it, the race is so hard that if you can't go in there and do anything at the race, you better off not be there because you'll either get sick or um, you know, put yourself into a hole that you won't be able to come out of. Like I still think that it's, it's, it's funny that Paris Nice and Torino and opening weekend, it's sort of like you've got to dodge the sickness but then build the form. It's this really intricate combination of like um, staying healthy, like you said, building that condition. Mm. Some guys just completely avoid it. They're just like, like I'm just going to go on training camp and then come into the classics fresh. And then just like I've avoided all the risks of getting sick. Mm. But then they also uh, risk the fact that they're not as, like you said, sharpened axe because they haven't come off a Torino or Baronet. It's the next question I sort of wanted to ask you is, and you're coming, you're an old pro now. You're in your 12th year as a pro. You're a veteran. I'm you know, happy to call you that, a veteran of the scene. That's the thing you're used to. You're used to using racing for sharpening the axe. But I feel like the new generation is able to do that because if, look, I'm not saying you can't do that in training. You've also adapted with the Peloton, you know, more so than I did, you know, because I was slightly earlier than you and guys younger than you are just used to doing that in training going as deep as a racing training and but the thing is too i get these guys i get the idea that these guys have got it everything controlled you know which i don't know is it a good or a bad thing i lo- i sort of like the feeling that of course i'm going to agree with this because this is what i was used to but a race sort of made you you, you got thrown these curveballs you're on the limit and suddenly it's splitting across when you got to get across it just was, there was out of your control. And I love those sort of, um, let's call them, what would I call them? Sort of like variables that you just sort of get thrown or like. Yeah, like efforts that you, if you're out training, they're just uncalculated efforts. Who knows when the pain's going to end? And that's what the classics are about. I guess there's two sides to it. Um, as a veteran of the classics now, um, a veteran in the peloton, two questions I sort of want to ask you towards the classics now, moving away from Paris and Torino is, what have you seen sort of change with yourself over those 10, 12 years now when it comes to the classics? And secondly, what have you seen change with the Peloton? How's it different now in the classics? When you think back to 212, 213, 214, those early years in the classics when we were over there together discovering it, learning the roads, all that crap. What about you personally? What's changed for you when you go to the classics now? I guess for me, what's changed is the... I guess the relaxedness coming in, not in a, not like 
giving a hell about the classics. Um, that's not the truth at all. It's more a calmer approach. Remember when it was a sort of 12, 13, you really want to finish Aranese. Mm. And if you don't finish Aranese, then your whole classics are ruined. And or you have to do this training effort because if you don't do this training effort, then your classics are ruined. And really building up this aspect of like, you have to tick all these boxes prior to mm. the classics that you won't be there if you don't do that. If you really think about it, when you start opening weekend to when you do Paris-Roubaix, man, that is, that's like nine weeks or something, mm. maybe. Like that's, yeah, could be even 10 weeks. You think about 10 weeks if you've got 10 weeks of training to put yourself in the best shape possible, that is so much time. Hmm. So as long as, say, you might have a bit of an upset, you know, get crook in Paranesia, get crook in Torino, or you crash out of one race here, doesn't mean that by Paris-Roubaix, it's all ruined. Like, we have this, and it happens with all of us, and, you know... Yeah. Look at Heyman. Yeah, exactly. He's prime Heyman, example. Heyman, yeah. Heyman, crash out, Opie weekend, wins Paris-Roubaix. Like, I think now going into it, like, guys were freaking out that we had a rest day in Paris-Nice. And I was like, well... Did they did they go was. out and simulate the day? <laughs> yeah, I was, it was a bit like, oh, well, we should, you know, I've eaten like 5,000 KJs, you know, to get ready for this stage. I really wish I was I was, I was one of the race. And you look outside and, mate, the trees are sideways. Get the ergos out. There is one of, the, one of my teammates who went for a ride as he's, he's like... Oh, we'll go for a ride. It's sunny outside. And he's going, oh, I can't believe we camped out. It's just like, <laughs> ridiculous. And then this gust of wind just picks up this massive cardboard box and just smashes into him and nearly knocks him off his bike. It was just like an instant karma. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you wanted to, you wanted to race, did you? Yeah, yeah. For me, it was like, yeah, just take it when you can. Okay, that's a resto. That's perfect. Like, that's, mm. another, that's another thing that maybe avoid me from going too far over the edge. Because when you mm. go into Paranese Torino and you've got really good shape, you're like, I better push here to you know, test the classics legs. And uh, in the peloton, I went up to Stefan Kuhl and I was like, oh, we better go deep today, huh, for the classics, huh? You know, like old school, you know, we better push, mm. we better push. Which then you saw some guys, you know, they end up coming out getting crook or got COVID or anything like this because it just goes that extra little bit too deep that the body's really fit, but the weather's still five degrees, potentially rain. It's a really funny period, Mitch. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's... Uh, it's so weird to enjoy yeah. it, but it's a weird time because you get a phone call, this guy's, you know, got bronchitis, he's out. You know, this guy's got, you know, a stomach bug because he's out. And then, you know, Torino had, you know, 10 days of rain, so they're all completely ruined. And then Paranese only had sun, but it was pretty easy, so they're not really that strong. So, like, yeah. easy. <laughs> but so you come into San Remo and it's like merging of the two. But San Remo is a completely different race. I just have to like laugh about it now. That thing that's the one thing that's changed is that I sort of step back and go, this is kind of ridiculous. Like it doesn't really change day to day. You Mm. can do a good performance because you have done like months of work and it doesn't go away. Where I do see with the Peloton with the younger guys, there is this point of like, Oh, I'm not going well. There's something wrong. I got to pull out. I got to stop. Uh, I got to get a blood test. You push yourself to the absolute until you're broken, until you couldn't ride your bike anymore of fear of missing out. You would never just put your hand up and say, pull out. And I don't know what's better because there's this point of like not having the respect for Parry Nice and Torino to finish that as an actual achievement. You know, like the team is like, no, 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 you're you're not quite at the level we thought you'd be at. Okay, you you got home stage three. You know, then re-vet and then go, like rebuild and go to the next race. I would take that as a massive, like, I'm not good enough. Yeah, so would I. Yeah, so would I. Like, you feel really shit, but... (laughs) 
that's what happens. And then I guess that's why each race is just so hard now. Yeah. Because those guys that were good in Paranese pulls the ripcord, which so many times we should have pulled the ripcord and gone home and just done that extra 10-day block. And then you like you save a catastrophic roller coaster to the bottom. <laughs> you go deep in Paranese, you go deep in San Remo, deep in Dupana, and then before you know it, you're a shell of a man by the time it comes to Roubaix. And you were just like, push through, just keep pushing. Yeah, and then you get the call up go. for the Giro. I guess that's why, like, you know, we'll quickly get him out of Paris East. And next minute, he's just, you know, <laughs> destroying the Ardennes because he hasn't got sick and he got trained again, you know? So mm-hmm. that's what I think that's changed. And the young guys don't really care what race it is. If it's Paris East, if it's this or it's that. There's a few that really, you know, passionately love it, but they're still just more like playing the game. Like, a race is a race. I'm going to go here and try and win this race. Um, doesn't matter if it's Paranese or it's Torino or it's this or it's that. So let's talk about like let's get back to a bit of culture and fans now. Um, you were up there for the opening weekend, and something I'm sort of forgetting about, and I want to remind myself of it. The Belgian fans get us back into that mindset, and now we're back. I know COVID was only as a couple of years ago, and things cleared out. We've had a year back with the fans there. What was it like being back there opening weekend? Are you looking forward to getting back to Belgium? You know, like I know it's a bit of a love-hate relationship with Belgium. We do love it at that time. We love everything about it. I've always compared to the spring classics, uh, sorry, the spring carnival here in in Victoria, in Melbourne, when we get the horse races. Because everyone, no matter who you are, is suddenly interested in horse racing. Oh, yeah, mate, you read the paper, you're going down the spring carnival, you're up Melbourne Cup, who are you betting on? Sort of like that in Belgium once the spring classics come everyone's sort of interested in cycling what's it like up there what's it really like for a pro riding through and you know being back there in the opening weekend you get a little sniff of it again don't you yeah exactly was a and a good example of this is uh uh we did the recon on thursday mm. um before opening weekend and we're doing um look head news bad uh recon there's a few young guys that hadn't done it before you know pros there's a guy standing in the middle of the hall doing a live pod for the recon riders coming past can't <laughs> wait to hear that one <laughs> yeah. on a thursday you know full setup mic'd up with a video with a like, with a video live pod as we've come and passed of just like and i don't know where this was going it wasn't spores are like it wasn't like that professional it was just like a fan got out there on the hall and it was pretty wet like it was wet, a bit shitty. And, uh, but you just like the passion of the fans are just like, oh, it's Thursday. It's recon opening weekend, obviously. Like, I'll go out and stand mm-hmm. on us. There's like a country road in Victoria, for example, that all the riders go out and ride on Thursday, you know, during work hours. And just someone just go and stand on the side of the road and just watch the bikes go past. Like, pretty funny. And then, um, but unfortunately, I ended up getting sick. So I didn't do either of the opening weekend, but. Watching on the TV was just like, I oh, mean, mm. it's, it's just cool. To, it's cool to be back. And the way the races were ran, like, they were incredible. It was really cool to see. I was sort of sitting in my bed watching them, just going, you know, like, feel really, you know, sad not to be out there. The crowds are only, you know, only a small, a small uh, taste of what's to come coming up. But, yeah, it was a good little opening weekend to uh, get a little taster for what's happening, what's going to come. Well, a bit of a lead into Talking Luft now. What would be better, Derbs? Scoring the intercept winning try at the decider of the Bledisloe Cup, Australia versus New Zealand Rugby Union, if anyone doesn't know, or attacking the bunch and being solo up the old Quaramont on your way to victory in Flanders, Betty Old style. Imagine that intercept. You're on your try line. You're defending. Suddenly there's thrown a long pass out 
Durbo sticks his long arm out. He grabs that ball. He intercepts. Oh, he's running man. up the whole field. The whole crowd is behind you. You can feel them <laughs> honing down on you, and you dive for the line under the post, score the winning try. A long time for Australia to win the Bledisloe Cup. Or heading up the Quarimont, you've just attacked the Pelotons. It's like you've got the legs, crystal legs. You're just like, I'm just going to go for it. Next thing you know, you're expecting the whole Peloton. And you're like, I've actually gapped them. What's going on here? And the crowd's leaning over the fence. And you're like, I might get this. And obviously you do. What's... Give us and what is it? What is it? What are we looking at? That is such a tailored made my question. Like, <laughs> you're playing on my heartstrings so badly. Like, I cried last year when we lost the letter slow, you know what I mean? Like, but, um, yeah, I, I know I'm imagining this, but I'm still gonna say Quarima winning two of Flanders would be still for me. I mean, it's what I've done my entire career, life. I, I never played high level rugby so it's only a pipe dream and it's still one that i still dream about but you know like i've actually witnessed what that feels like going up uh the choir and imagine if they're cheering actually you this time <laughs> and you're solo yeah, yeah and you yeah. come in and then there's the big line of flanders flag you know flying in the background and you're just there you know looking back five guys splitting out behind you and you just oh man i wouldn't do the bike salute though i just hop sort of off there Look to this. No, I wouldn't do that one. That's, um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's, let's start talking Luft. 4.0 Durbo. Start, well, I've got one, two. Are you going to ask everyone that question? <laughs> no, I just, that's not even talking Luft. <laughs> that's just one for you. One, two, three, four, five topics. Sorry, four topics. Let's do it. Style and clothing, bike knowledge, off the bike, and about you. You ready? Yep. Hit me. Style and clothing. Let's, this is a little bit more of a classics theme about this one. You start the race, it's cold. So you put the long finger gloves on. What do you do when you take your long finger gloves off mid-race? Do you have the short finger gloves ready in your pocket? Do you go bareback and race without gloves to the end of the race, Boonan style? Or do you start with long finger glo- uh, short finger gloves underneath your long finger gloves? So when you peel them off, you're ready to go rock and roll, let's race. Uh, the the third you do yep. start with the short finger because that was something I used to do as well yeah no it's, it's a, I, I really hate big like bulky gloves that you can't really do anything with I see some guys that roll around with massive gloves on and if you put the like you used to do like the small I think I might have even got the tip from you but the uh, short finger gloves are like a really quite a thin long glove mm-hmm. over the top um, that seems to be enough more in Paris I just wore warm gloves and then about halfway through the stage, I just ripped them off and just ran bare back to the finish. Um, and I hated it. So You could have put the mitts in the pocket. Yeah. The problem is you put the mitts in the pocket, they're hard to get on. You know, it's yeah, like your hands yeah, off the bars. Yeah. Could barely get them on, crosswind, trying to get a little finger glove on, you know. So, no. Go right. with a third. When you take your rain jacket off mid-race and it's really fast, it's quite a hard scenario. What do you do? Do you roll it up, put it in a pocket? Do you go camel style, slide it under the jersey and have that whole camelback look? Or do you just gift it to a fan and just let it flail in the wind and do the glory throw? No, we do not get enough kit for that. <laughs> um, that that's sort of like, that's my one short sleeve rain jacket for the year. I'm going to hold on to that, you know? Like, did you get my jacket? Did, did, I threw it to a staff member. Did you get my jacket on the radio? So, no, I, I just put it in the back pocket. Depends on put how in the fast. Back pocket. If, it's, if it's real fast, I'll just be like straight down the back here, between my shoulder blades. And then, because then when you tuck your head back, then it's like, semi 
aero helmet thing. But most of the time I'm racing with the skin suit, you just pull your collar open and then you just stuff it down the back, you know, because you put it in your pocket, the pocket's a bit small. So maybe mm. just take it off and just go stuff down the back. And then as soon as you see a staff member, then throw it to a staff member. I guess that the, the idea out of this question is to let everyone understand about how little time you get to even put a jacket into a, some kind of space. It's just so, so frantic. It's so hard to do that stuff, isn't it? Oh, it's stressful. And a lot of guys will just, because you can't take your hands off the bars, might be crosswind or something. Like you see guys coming back through the bunch because they've got their arms stuck in the, the rain jacket and they're freaking out because they can't get back in the line and they're out in the wind. You know, and a, and, a, and a guy might just grab it and just pull the last bit for them so because they they can't get their second hand off the, off the bar. But some guys really, you know, take the piss you know they'll sit up in the middle of a peloton and just roll it up pull the arms out the correct way you know stuff it in the back pocket and i'm like this they're really tight packed in the peloton they do this and i'm just like mate you got big balls eh? because you got no hands on the handlebars in the middle of the peloton and we're racing so yeah i don't know what those guys those guys just built differently have you ever rubbed your whole body in heat cream before the start of a knowingly rotten freezing wet day Whole body? No, no, definitely not. No, <laughs> that's way too risky. <laughs> Done it. I do the legs, but does it even work? Like, well, it was it was early days, Skill Shimano, when we when we didn't have enough kit, and I saw the other boys doing it. I just went, you know what? That just looks like the best idea I've ever heard of. Because like, I'm going to be so cold today. I think I was just like mid classics, got scarred from a day before, and it doesn't really Stop work. Ever do it? No. <laughs> Just, you just nude up and you just get lubed up with heat cream. You pay for it hard in the showers afterwards. That's what I was going to say. The shower afterwards would be horrible. You should be on fire. All right, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> Bike knowledge. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to name the team, every team from this year's Peloton, and you just tell me what bike they're riding. You ready? Okay. AG2R. BMC. Alberson de Koenig. Special. Bam, bam. Alberson de Koenig. Well, I didn't even know that. Quick step, no? No. That's the wrong team, Mitch. That's last year's Sudal Quick Step. Oh, yeah, Ridley then. Oh. Oh, Sudal Quick Step specialized then. Yeah, right. Alberson de Kunick then. I uh, don't know that team existed. So it was Lotto Dynasty now. It's Alberson. What? Caleb's team? No. Oh, I don't know that team. I would have known it. Either. What do you mean? They're not even in the world tour. <laughs> they are. Alperson, oh, Alperson, oh, can you? <laughs> Remember the Bakuni question? Sorry, I was like, oh. Are you trying to catch you? Caden's going to hate me for that one. Um, a starter. <laughs> uh, Willia. Bahrain Victorious. Marita. Fora. Handscrow. Specialised. Cofidus. Look. EF. Canadale. FDJ. Lapierre. Ineos. Peterillo. Intermarche. Cube. Jumbo Visma. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Uh, Zavillo. Movistar. Canyon. Archaic Samsic. Bianchi. Oh, nice. DSM. Scott. Jayco. Giant. <laughs> Segafredo. Uh, Trek. UAE. Cole Largo. Yeah, nice one. You actually navigated yourself well through that after the big curveball. Yeah, well, uh, that was terrible for me. Like, Alpha Search should have just... Click for that, but the Koenig question really got me at the battle because they used to be with Specialized. So, all right, I was so I was so adamant. Wasn't I? Yeah, I just I didn't know how to convince you. Um, I was like, "You're wrong, mate." The next one is cycling culture, but it's classic cycling culture. So we're talking about the classics. Can you name the eight 
cobblestone climbs in this year's edition of Tour of Flanders. So all the climbs, but with cobbles on them in Flanders. There's no curveballs. They're just, you should know them. Coppenberg, Tyrenberg, Pattersburg, Quaramont. Are we doing flat sections too? Or no, just climbs? Only climbs. Cruisberg or old Cruisberg, whatever. And then we have, what's that, five? Yep. Did I say Tyrenberg already? Yep. There's nine then, because I didn't have Kreisberg in it. Did I say Tyrenberg? Yep. No, now you did. Okay. Right, Tyrenberg. Um, you got three to go. Oh, no, I did, have, I, did, and I did have Kreisberg in it. Sorry, you've only got two to go. Do we have the, uh, are we saying that the Stationsburg is a climb or not? Or no. Meryl Beekstrad or whatever it is? No, we're not. That's a flat, that's considered a flat, a flat sector. sector when I was reading about it. But yeah, I know it's not. Think of one that they've actually repaired recently. Oh, yeah, Eichenberg. Nice. And the last one, which I would, it's a pretty hard one to think of. Cobble Quarum. Starts with S. And the last part of it is your manager's name. Oh, Sting and Began Dries. <laughs> well that's, done. A, that's, a, that's a new one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was thanks for the big giveaway at the end there. I wouldn't have got that one. That's actually not that old, I don't think, that one. No, it's a new one. They they really sort of yeah. did it and it's not that rough. It's pretty steep though. Well yeah. done, mate. That was good. You're ready for Flanders. All right, who's won yeah. Flanders the most times? Bit of a trick question, this one. It is. It's like a few of them have ran, done it three times, no? Nice. Well done. How many riders have won it three times? It's like Boonen to Volder. No, he went there twice. Boonen, then Petergen. Oh, Musea, Musea. Musea, yep. You're only gonna, I think you're only going to know three of them in from the current time. The other three are from the olden times, before the 70s. Boonen, Musea, Cancellara. Yeah, nice. Well done. And what then, does, what, there's one. Yeah, no, there's there. three other guys that I didn't know. Blavik or something? No, I didn't know the other no. three. What does Dwarsdor Vlandren translate to? Dwarsdor Vlandren, for everyone listening, is a race. It's called Warragam as well. It's uh, used to be a semi-classic, but it's actually a a world tour race now in between Ghent Wavelgum and Flanders the Wednesday before Flanders it's like I have actually no idea but I'm gonna oh yeah I don't know what Dwar's door I think terrible but like is it something the day of Warragam or something well it's well can you there's three it translates to two words can you guess one of the words think of the name is it like Dwar's door Vlanderen yeah that's like something of Flanders alright you've got halfway there Across Dave. Flanders. What is yeah, the rule? What is the... <laughs> not that. There you are. You'll never forget that. What is the rule if a railway level crossing is closed? Wait, stop. What do you mean? Like... Yeah, you yeah, have to stop. You, you're, fully, you're fully thrown out of the race. Like, that's fully illegal. You know? <laughs> do you remember when... I was when there I... in Roubaix with yeah. TGB come past, and I just made it through, and before the bell was all... The bell started... And the guys that were still going around the barricade, like that train was going like 200 k's an hour. Are you there when they they stopped the peloton? Because I think Degum Cole won that year. They stopped mm. the peloton. They did something. Is that? Are you suggesting year. that's the how I, how he won? Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Like John would <laughs> never have won that race. It was so easy from then on. <laughs> they pretty much neutralized it to the velodrome, and then he sprinted and won. You know, it was like. <laughs> 2006, I don't know if you remember, I did remember this, but I couldn't remember the exact story. Um, Leif Hostard, Peter Van Pettigam, and Vladimir Gusev, they rode through a level crossing with 10k to go, and they rode the whole way to the finish. They didn't DQ them. When they were about to climb up onto the podium, they went, ah, 
actually, you guys are DQ'd. Fabian Cancellara won that. Boonen and Balan, they finished fifth and sixth. They came in and they actually ended up finishing second and third. And Van Pettigen, his quote at the end was, oh, it's crazy. In Belgium, they would have stopped the train. <laughs> I love that. Uh, that's so good. It's, it's actually true. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Last one in culture. How many sectors are there in this year's Paris-Roubaix? 27. Close. A bit higher. Eight. 28. 29. How many kilometers are cobbles in the 256K event? Um, 62 or something. 54.5. It's. I was going to say 54, but then I, because I thought 26 sectors, they've added an egg to so I just added more. Yeah, anyway. All right. You might be a bit better at this segment. Off the bike. Nothing to do with bikes now. You can relax. You walk into a pub, you see five taps in front of you. What would be the five dream beers on tap for you run us through derbs uh i come in there would be alhambra uh reserva on tap right that's a beer from spain from down in the south from granada a beautiful beer about seven percent yep then there would be carlton drive i do like drafty nice big shout out to victoria then there would be uh colonial kolsch which is a wa beer a really nice beer Yep. Then there would be Red Army on there? No. No, I probably wouldn't. I'd probably go Chebecca. Uh look, to be honest, I go like a quite like a crafty IPA. Maybe like a mm-hmm. Dos Kiwis, which is a little brewery here. IPA. What Just about a Belgian? Meat, yeah. No Belgian. Uh probably no, I wouldn't do a Belgian on tap. Probably. Like be good to do on tap, but I just don't think I would do a Belgian on tap. And then, uh, so yeah, do like a Dusky with IPA. And then last one, I would probably go, like you said, probably Red Estrella. Estrella mm-hmm. on tap as well, which is a nice. Spanish well, lineup. Nice. I like hearing the lineup. I like it. It's uh, something I like to entertain when I'm out riding with different people. I've got a bit of a who, who am I for you. It's a bit different. It's what wine am I? You ready? Okay. Yep. We'll start with 10 points. There's 10 clues. So the, the more clues you get, the less points you get. Chime in as soon as you know. Durbo is a Wesset Level 1 wine connoisseur, for everyone who doesn't know that. So he knows his wine. For 10 points, I'm grown in the old world. Any guesses? <laughs> no. no <yeah. laughs> Nine points. From a hot... <laughs> from a hot, dry, Mediterranean climate. What fact, am I guessing? Am I guessing the you can just like, guess, region you, of wine? Or just, no, you or can, just you can, like the actual bottle? The bottle. The name of the wine and the bottle. You don't have to guess the vintage... Okay. You, in fact, gave this wine six years ago the 2011 vintage 4.5 star rating and a thumbs up on Vivino for eight points. Any other clues? Think of all your 4.5 ratings. What year was it? Sorry. 211 vintage. Oh, Terra Ramona. What wine? Camino. Keep going? No. But am I on right with the right name? That was incorrect, I guess. That's all I'm going to say. Okay. You ready for some tasting notes? Yeah. This might get you in the mind. It is a brilliant, intense Garnet Red with a colour of purple hints. An intense ripe black fruits with sweet spice and cocoa and vanilla on the nose. And as well as <laughs> so hard, bro. Like and it is well structured and complex with nice acidity, black fruits with cinnamon, 
soft tannins, oh, oh yeah, large mouthful, with a long palate to finish. For seven points, you got another guess. I'm not guessing. Okay, you just described every Spanish wine. It is a red wine made up of 90% Syrah, 10% Black Grenache. Six points. Is it a, a Peritolata? No. I'm next it was import art. I, is it import art, the region? I can't, I can't give you any other clues except for the clues. It is a Spanish wine for five points. For four points. I'm from the northeastern part of the import R region and I'm an ecological winery. You got your bearings? Yeah, I don't know where I am. But Peritolata is in the Peralata, sorry, is in the northeast. So that is a good guess. It's from that way. For three points, I am about a forty euro bottle. Like am I blau? <laughs> no. I'm struggling at two points. Uh, we in fact visit this winery together with our partners many years ago. I said Terra Remota and you said no. I didn't say no. I just said I. It is the winery, but I never said it was five points ago. <laughs> That's the winery. You, didn't, you said Camino. Oh. Do you want the last clue for one point? It was not. It was dead. Um, Plus Adrian. Oh, well done. Oh, but I said that I. Oh. You did it. You just said Terra Ramona. Yeah, do you want to hear what the last? Do you want to hear what the last clue was? <laughs> yeah, tell me. I'm a wine from Terra Ramona, and I am not Camino. <laughs> <laughs> I got seven points No way, you just said Terra Remota It wasn't the I knew you were going to guess Camino straight up So that's why I didn't do that Alright, you ready for last topic About you Are you a punisher or a carer? And what I mean by that is <laughs> Do you punish your body The next day after letting loose For instance, you drink too much, you eat too much, you don't treat yourself right. And the next day out training, do you just go, I've got to make up for it. I've got to punish myself. Or do you respect what you did to your body and go, you know what? Pretty bad to myself yesterday. I need to respect what happened. I need to care for myself. Take a day and then come back stronger the next day. Or you say, nah, punish it. Drill myself. Punisher or care? Exactly. Massive, just punisher. (laughs) We all are. And we all know it's wrong. I'm a... Jurumaga River one time and we just completely punished myself the night before and then the next day <laughs> you decided to try and ride to Nana at like 37 kilometers an hour average because we had to get there and we were destroying ourselves but we sort of thought we're going to build this guilt up <laughs> um, we had so much guilt from the night before that we just had to work it off all the way there so yeah punish up do you like to push the pace, aka half wheel, when you're out training with someone, or you just like to follow the speed of what the bunch is going? Are you a half wheeler or are you a follower? Ah, uh, follower. That's no way you are. You're such That's a so pusher. True. Because the thing is, you push it and <laughs> I follow you, and then I just let you just half wheel me. So if I have to go training with someone, I'll just like cruise if they're going to go shoot. They want to ride hard. I'm happy to play the half wheel. <laughs> okay. But they start it. Fair enough. Fair enough. Will you pay for treatment or will you wait for free stuff when you go to a race with the team? Uh, pay for treatment, for sure. Yeah, I'll probably get massage at least once a week and treatments. It is a common thing though, isn't it? You're a bit of a, a rarity. Yeah, actually true. Yeah, I mm. like I go to a race and I get a massage at least once a week and the Swan years are actually thankful for it so they're not massaging sort of bricks. couple of questions to go. Do you apply chamois cream every day when it's needed or you keep it dry as a bone? 
What's going on down there, mate? Uh, dry. Dry as a bone. Yeah. I, I apply I apply a cream post-training pretty much every day. So, like, like it's like a chamois cream, but it's not a chamois cream. That sort of, like, really helps. Um, but I don't actually put it on while I'm riding. Last question, mate. You've well, you're well done. You've navigated through very well 4.0. It's a bit of a different one. Mate, what's the best thing? Because I know you're in your prime. You're really in your prime. Every time I talk to you, you keep telling me how much you're enjoying yourself. So the question is, what's the best thing about being a pro cyclist? I constantly remind myself that I get paid every day to wake up, to go riding on my bike, um, to travel all over the world, see these amazing places, race in a great team, forever grateful for the opportunity that I got to do this. And I still don't really know how or why this is even a job so i got to pinch myself and i do remind myself that so the best thing about being a pro cyclist is just waking up every day knowing that your work is to clip in and go riding your bike all the things that come with it i feel like i live a fairy tale so you know sometimes it's hard we do complain about how hard the racing is and things like that but it's really not that hard and uh, i'm sure you can uh, agree on the other side of the fence it's uh all those little special things you get to do as a pro, you can't beat them, eh? Mate, nice. I knew you'd be really good with that one. Thanks, Durs. Thanks for coming on Talking Luft once again. You are my favourite guest on Life of the Peloton, and I couldn't do a season without talking to you. Thanks, Durs. Thanks, mate. Appreciate it. We'll take it easy. Oh, Durbo, eh? I just love chatting with Durbo. He really is my favorite guest on the podcast because we can just chew the fat, have a joke, try and trip him up on a few questions. It's always great having him, and I know you guys enjoy hearing Durbo. Good luck to Durbo and the classics coming up. Like I said, make sure you check out the day in hell with Rafa. I'm over in South Africa at the moment, racing Cape Epic, getting my ass kicked. It's been tough, and I'm really enjoying it. Next week is the Cape Epic episode, so hang in for that. I know you're going to enjoy that, seeing what happened inside this epic race. Guys, I want to thank Will Jones, who's putting these episodes together for me, Meg behind the scenes, and of course, you guys for listening. I love hearing your feedback. So guys, until next week, take it easy. The music in this episode was composed by Pete Shelley. Cheers, mate.